Hello and welcome to Ask the Regulator. For our first Ask the Regulator podcast of 2022, we're going to focus in on health and nutrition. Joining me today is David Gregory, who is one of Shared Regulatory Services Officers who specialises in food standards law. David has been on the podcast before, talking to us previously about allergens. So welcome back, David. Hi Gemma, it's good to be back. So a survey conducted by the British Nutrition Foundation last year showed that 62% of Britons had altered their diet to get healthier. And the start of a new year, of course, is a common time for people to pay closer attention to their nutrition or for making changes to their eating habits. So David, how can the food law labelling requirements help to give us information about what is actually in our food? Well, many pre-packed foods on sale in supermarkets and shops will have nutritional information on the packaging. This is mostly on the back of the packet and it provides calorie information and the total amount of fat and saturated fats, the carbohydrate level and the amount of sugar, as well as the amount of protein and salt. Some manufacturers also put on the amounts of fibre and other nutrients to help consumers. The information you'll see is given in a percentage form, which means you can compare what you're thinking of buying with other similar foods. Uh, And sometimes you'll see the amounts per portion on the pack, which can be really useful if you're dieting or trying to eat healthier. That will tell you exactly how much fat is in your sausage roll or the amount of sugar in your can of pop. And some of these pre-packed foods have voluntary labelling on the front of the packaging, um, which is often referred to as the traffic light labelling system. So can you tell us about this voluntary labelling system and how that works? Yes, although the nutritional information I mentioned a moment ago is mandatory and is usually on the back of food packaging, some supermarkets and food manufacturers also display nutritional information on the front of pre-packed foods using this handy traffic light system. The traffic light system is developed by the Food Standards Agency and will tell you straight away whether a food has high, medium or low amounts of fat, saturated fat, sugars and salt. Red means the food is high in that nutrient, so you should try and cut it down, eat less often or try to eat smaller amounts. Amber means medium, so if food contains mostly amber, you can eat it most of the time. And green means low. So the more green lights a label displays, of course, the healthier that food choice is. I will say, though, the food, um, I will say this scheme is voluntary, so it's not on all foods. Some companies have decided to develop alternative schemes that provide the same information, but without the use of the red, amber and green colours. Mm. And as well as this nutritional information on the food, many food products have claims in relation to being high protein or low fat, for example. So what do these claims actually mean and how does the law regulate them to ensure they're accurate and that we can trust them? Well, Gemma, I'm sure you and the listeners will be pleased to know there are laws to control these types of claims. For example, if the packaging says a food is low in fat then it can have no more than 3 grams of fat for every 100 gram if it's a solid food, or no more than 1.5 grams of fat per 100 millilitres if it's a liquid such as a ketchup or a drink. These types of statements on foods are known as nutrition claims, as they tell the consumer about the nutritional benefit of the food. There are actually 33 different nutrition claims recognised in law, and these are all set out in the Great Britain Nutrition and Health Claims Register. And if any listeners are interested in checking these out, the link to the GB register will be on the SRS website. And a term that 
I often see referred to quite a lot is the term superfood. So does that term have a specific meaning and are there any requirements in law that would apply to these types of terms? Well, yeah, you're right. Words like superfood or similar statements such as good for you, healthy options or or even give yourself a boost are often seen on food packages. And it can be difficult for a shopper to understand what exactly is super about it or what benefits that food might provide when you eat it. These phrases and statements don't have specific meanings, but that doesn't mean to say they're not controlled. The law says that if a food business uses a marketing term such as superfood or anything else that uh, is a non-specific generic claim, which implies a health benefit, then the label must also include an approved health claim. These are claims which have been checked and verified by scientists, such as calcium is needed for the maintenance of normal teeth or vitamin C contributes to the normal reduction of tiredness and fatigue. I mentioned the GB register a few moments ago. So if you look up that register, you will see 266 authorised health claims that can be used on a food label or in advertising. Thank you, David. I've got some more questions for you in a minute or two, but first, let's do our first regulatory roundup of the year. As we're talking about health and fitness today, an important point to mention is ongoing contracts or subscriptions to things like gym and fitness memberships, clubs and applications, and fitness clothing companies, for example. It can be a challenging time of year financially, so please do take the time to think carefully before entering into contracts that may tie you in for long periods of time, because we all know financial situations can quickly change. Take the time to do your research and make sure it is the best deal for you and the contract is going to meet your needs. Ask the business lots of questions to make sure you understand everything. And I know it's time consuming, but please do read those terms and conditions carefully. Noting any particular notice periods for cancellation and recording any important dates in your calendar or maybe set a reminder for yourself on your phone. There's some really good advice on the Citizens Advice website and we'll put a link to that on our website in the usual way. The Competition and Markets Authority has recently obtained voluntary agreement from Taylor Wimpy that they will remove terms that made ground rent charges for some of their residents double every 10 years, as well as other clauses that were felt to be unfair contract terms. This will mean the charges will remain at the price they were at when the affected consumers actually purchased their properties. Investigations are still ongoing with some of the other property development companies and the Chartered Trading Standards Institute and other local trading standards services, including ourselves at Shared Regulatory Services, are warning residents about a whole range of scams relating to COVID. The latest one has NHS branding and claims apply now for Omicron PCR test to avoid restrictions. It states that a new type of PCR test is required to detect the new variant and takes people to a link, which is a mock-up of the NHS website and requires you to provide a whole range of personal information. Please help us to tackle these issues by raising this awareness amongst your friends and family. And there's a whole range of scams relating to things like COVID passports and even business support grants. These fraudsters really do use any situation to take advantage of people. For more information about any of these issues, including how to report a scam, please visit our website, srs.wales, and follow us on Twitter, srs underscore Wales. 
Let's turn our attention now back to health and nutrition and make the most of David's expertise. So, David, a common area where trading standards receive inquiries from both consumers and businesses is in relation to food supplements. What are the common issues that we tend to see in this area? Well, Gemma, there are several common problems. Firstly, we see lots of products that have been imported into this country from places such as the USA or Australia, where they do have very different rules regarding what can go into a food supplement or the claims that can be made. In some instances, we've seen some very outlandish claims about the supposed benefits of a food supplement using wording that's just not permitted by a food supplement company in this country. We also come across some food supplements that contain substances that are known as novel ingredients. Now, novel ingredients are things added to foods that have not been previously consumed in this country. So they aren't part of our normal diet and we just don't know if they're safe to eat or if they will cause allergic reactions. So they need to be tested and approved before they can be added. And of course, imported food supplements are much more likely to have these novel ingredients, which will be eaten by unsuspecting members of the public. And do you have any advice for food businesses who may be importing such products? The advice I'd give to any importer is to think very clearly about what they're importing and what the possible risks might be. Importing businesses should get written confirmation that the food complies with UK composition and labelling rules and that there are no novel ingredients included. They should also look very carefully at any nutrition or health claims that might be on the labelling or advertising to ensure, again, that they are permitted in this country. We do come across lazy importers who simply repeat non-permitted health claims on their website rather than just spending a few minutes checking the GB register. It's a simple task which takes a few minutes, so there's no excuse really not to do it. And of course, all businesses should be buying from reputable suppliers, but extra care needs to be taken if they are buying these supplements over the internet because they'll need to also take into account the risk of counterfeit products especially if the price they're paying is considerably cheaper than what they would pay from their normal supplier. Some great advice there. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is that you do see adverts, particularly um, on social media, in relation to products such as fat burners, for example. So can you talk us through what these products actually are and what the main concerns are with fat burners? Well, our our biggest concern about products described as fat burners are those that contain a chemical called dinitrophenol, or DNP. DNP has a variety of industrial uses. It can be used as a photographic chemical, a fertiliser, and also for the manufacturing of dyes and explosives. It's not fit or intended for human consumption, as it is highly toxic. Those who have taken this drug experience an increase in temperature and metabolic rate, which can lead to coma or death. So fat burner products containing DNP do appear to be marketed at those looking to lose weight. So it's a risk that in this post-Christmas period we might see an increase in social media activity. But it is also aimed at those in the bodybuilding community. Supplying products containing DNP is illegal and it can result in the seizure of products and legal action being taken against any business. And are there any other products that are banned because they're not safe for us to consume that we should be on the lookout for and that businesses are not allowed to sell? Yes, well, we do see adverts online for food supplements containing dimethylamylamine. That's a bit of a mouthful, as you can tell, so it's often abbreviated to DMAA. 
DMAA is an ingredient often described as a natural stimulant. It has many claimed functional uses, including as a bodybuilding or a weight loss aid. DMAA use, especially in combination with other ingredients such as caffeine, can elevate blood pressure and lead to cardiovascular problems and has been linked with stroke and death. The Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, the MHRA, typically regard products containing DMMA as medicinal products and they will take appropriate action when products containing this are found as it's an offence to sell or supply or advertise any medicinal product which doesn't have marketing authorisation in the UK. Some very scary physical effects that you listed there David. So what should um, people do or other businesses do if they see any of these products being made available for sale? They should contact their local trading standards team Obviously, if they are living in the SRS region, then you'll find contact information on our website, which is www.srs.wales. But if you're listening to this outside of Bridgend, Cardiff or the Vale of Glamorgan, then contact details for your local team can be found on the Trading Standards website, which is www.tradingstandards.uk. You can also inform the Food Standards Agency via their website, which is www.food.gov.uk. Thank you for your time today, David, for, and for once again enlightening us about the importance of food standards law and how that really impacts on our day-to-day lives, and in this case, in the area of health and fitness. On our next episode, we'll be focusing on how shared regulatory services support both local and national businesses and help them to get things right so that they can keep their customers safe and happy. Don't forget, if there is a topic you would like us to cover on the podcast, whether it is a business or a consumer topic, please do contact us at businessadvice-srswales at valeofglamorgan.gov.uk. All the links, as always, for this episode can be found on our website on the podcast page of the Business Services section. Until our next episode, thank you for joining us on Ask the Regulator. Ask the Regulator is brought to you by Shared Regulatory Services and produced by Bro Radio.